All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. From WNYC, this is New Tech City where digital gets personal. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Were you one of these kids? My interest in space, I've been interested in it since I was pretty little, about three years old. You know, some kids are really into horses, others are cuckoo for baseball, and then there are the space nerds. You know the ones. Because I like space and I like to know everything about it, and I always watch space movies. You're hearing campers at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. I think it'd be kind of cool to work on the space shuttle, so I like space. I was never one of those kids. I have terrible motion sickness and a touch of claustrophobia. Right now, if you offered me a ticket on the next rocket headed for orbit, the answer would be no. Absolutely not. If you agree with me, well, get ready to reconsider. And for those of you who would get on the next rocket, this episode's going to help you prepare. Especially since that ticket may be on offer sooner than you think. Today, two very unusual women. Two very unusual stories. Beautiful stories that got me dreaming in a way that I never have before. I look at the sky a little differently at night now. Maybe you will too. First, let's meet Lena. Well, my full birth name is Lionella Yurivna Barazdina. In short, people just know me as Lena Barazdina, and if people forget my name, people just call me Red. Uh, you know, I have red hair. She's also Russian. Born in Odessa City in what is now Ukraine, it was still the communist USSR when Lena was a kid. I grew up in a communal flat, eight families, one toilet, two sinks with cold water. My father used to tuck me in bed and tell me bedtime stories. He was telling me that me and my cousin Inga would sneak up on the spaceship in the middle of the night, run out of the house, go on a launch pad, climb into a spaceship through an exhaust, which is, you know, technically not possible, but when you're a kid, you don't think about that, and stow ourselves away in some box. And in the morning, the spaceship would launch into the space. And that's how I used to fall asleep. Stories and dreams about space. Lena says she had a happy childhood. She wasn't healthy enough to apply to the Russian space program. She never would have passed the physical, she says. But her father encouraged her interest in science, and she earned degrees in biology and biochemistry. Then, in 1991, at the age of 22, she went for a visit to the States. And her vacation happened to coincide with a very important historical event back home. 
pretty much while I was here, uh, Gorbachev got kidnapped, the gates closed, the country started falling apart. I still had a Soviet passport. And I was like Tom Hanks in the terminal, I couldn't go back. So I, by default, applied for political asylum and stayed in the United States. Lena had 13 rubles in her pocket, about 60 cents. She spoke no English. I slept on people's couches. I starved. I got my first job washing dishes at the pharmaceutical company um, for $5 an hour. She worked her way up at the pharma company. She learned English. She finally put those master's degrees to work in drug research and development. She stayed in California. She got married. She lived a normal life, she says. But space was always on her mind. So I just dreamed about it. I watched every space launch. She relaxed by reading sci-fi, whatever she could find about space travel. The name's Brunson, Sir Richard Brunson. Then, one night in 2004, she and her husband were on the couch watching a reality show, The Rebel Billionaire, hosted by Sir Richard Branson. The third to the last episode, that's when Richard actually announced the that he's going to be doing the space company. And it says, go to virgingalactic.com. And um, I actually went on a site, um, wrote a letter, and I got a response a couple of weeks later. I got a, a call from a VP at Virgin Galactic, uh, wanting to know just how serious Lena was. They talked for hours, and Lena got invited down to L.A. to meet with the team. Lena, it turns out, was just the type of person they were recruiting for, for the initial group of customers. They even had a special name for them. The Founders Club, the people who actually will be the first hundred to be very passionate about space, to be kind of spokespeople for the program, because in the beginning, as I say, it was all on paper. These 100 regular people would have a reservation on the first ride in a space plane for a suborbital flight. Now, here's how a suborbital flight is different than, say, the shuttle going up into space. The entire Virgin Galactic's flight will only be about two and a half hours. Passengers will experience zero gravity for several minutes. They'll get a beautiful look at the curve of the planet. They'll see the black of the universe. And then essentially, they'll fall back into the atmosphere and glide down to the ground. But no one knows when or if this trip is really going to happen. So the first hundred people who bought tickets, they had to be diehard believers. Lena was a believer, all right. But the question was whether she could afford her dream. At that point, it was, I mean, can be reality, could be reality, but the thought of it was... All right, I want to know how much it's going to cost and is it going to be possible? Because initially, um, you know, I'm thinking maybe it's going to be like millions of dollars, which is going to be way out of my price range kind of thing. CEOs and celebrities like Angelina Jolie didn't hesitate to sign up. But Lena had to think things through a little more carefully. And when you told your husband that, that you wanted to sign up for this, what did he say? He was actually very supportive. He knew that it's a dream of a lifetime. The price tag wasn't millions. It was $200,000. A stretch, but doable. Space travel for middle to upper middle class people willing to make the sacrifice. I mean, 200000 was a lot. More than a lot. That's the price of a house. Lena and her husband agreed to take out a second mortgage on their home. 
especially since their other family plans had fallen through. We tried to have children for many years, and that kind of fell flat on its face. So there wasn't going to be any future college funds or weddings or anything like that in the future. So this is the first time in my life I've done something selfish. Actually, I've done something for myself. I mean, at this point, Lena, did, did you have any hesitation? Did you have any fears? None. I mean, apart from fear of flying, I had none. Wait a minute. Fear of flying? Wait a minute. That seems like a pretty big um, hurdle. (laughs) It's okay. I fly every every week. I I deal with it. So, but yeah, I get nervous on the takeoff. Yeah, me too. And that's why I I could never go to space. I could never go, Lena. Never, never. I mean, getting there is the means to get to my dream. To see the world from up there. In the 10 years since Lena bought her ticket, there have been numerous delays to the flight. We'll tell you more about what's going on with Virgin Galactic in a minute. And Lena, well, she had some delays of her own. She and her husband ended up divorcing. She discovered that she had breast cancer. She's in remission now, but it was a tough period. Now, in the last 10 years, did you ever think to yourself, man, I could use the money that's tied up in this ticket? Be honest with you, I work really, really hard. That money is the money that I don't count on. That is my dream, and it's put away in a separate box, and it sits somewhere. These ticket holders, and there are nearly 800 of them now, they get invited to all kinds of Virgin Galactic special events. Some of them have visited Richard Branson's private island. Lena herself has done anti-gravity and centrifuge training. She's also traveled to watch test flights in the desert. And there she has grilled numerous real astronauts about their experience. But there's always one question that no one seems to be able to answer. The big question is how how do you felt the first time you went up there, that you were there and you can see the world from up there? What was the feeling? How did it feel? And everybody cannot explain the feeling. Look, as you can tell, Lena is a tough cookie. These astronauts saying, oh, looking at Earth, it's indescribable. I just can't put it into words. That really annoys her. She is looking for her space soulmate, someone who understands what she wants to hear. The exploration of space will go ahead whether we join in it or not. And it is one of the great adventures of all time. Virgin Galactic is on track to become the world's first commercial space line. And if you've ever dreamt of joining the incredible group of pioneers... Okay, before we go any further, quick space history lesson. I didn't know a lot of this. We're going to take stock of where we are with space travel. Keeping in mind, it's only been 45 years since Neil Armstrong took his giant leap. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. By the time the 50th anniversary rolls around, 2019, there could actually be multiple ways to get off the planet. Okay, so here are some of the options. We founded Space Adventures to be able to take private citizens to space, to create our own space effort. You could book a trip to the International Space Station for a few days with Space Adventures, it's going to set you back between 20 to $40 million, but, you know, who's counting at that point? 
The cheaper option is something like Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic. It is strange to think that only 500 people have been into space. And our dream is to ultimately enable many kids who are watching this program uh, to be able to go into space. And I think we can make that dream become reality. Branson planned to fly tourists to space starting in 2007. By the way, tickets now are $250,000. And there have been numerous test flights, successful ones, 2014 was going to be the year that regular flights started. (laughs) Well, I've said this before. Um, I'm going to say it again, and uh, hopefully this time uh, I get it right. Branson continues to say that Virgin Galactic is, quote, on the verge of sending people into space. Meanwhile, other companies are trying to build space hotels, space elevators, space balloons. There are science fiction ideas being tested out as real business models. You can even check out some of the projects on Kickstarter. We've got some links on our website. Now, whatever happened to NASA, you're asking? Well, budget cuts ended the shuttle program in 2011. So to get an American astronaut into space these days, he or she has to go with the Russians. Ah, the irony, right? So the future of the U.S. space program, it probably lies with private partnerships, like the one that NASA has right now with SpaceX. Now, that's the company owned by Elon Musk, the tech entrepreneur behind PayPal and Tesla. And he recently said his goal is to colonize Mars. Eventually, it may be space tourists footing the space travel bill. But right now, it's entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, and Anushe Ansari. Coming up... We talked to Anushe Ansari, the first ever female space tourist, and she answers all of Lena's questions. I don't know if it's too personal of a question, but how do you how do you go to the bathroom in space? You're listening to New Tech City. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I've been referring to this episode as our Space Ladies Show. There is serious girl power about to be rocketing into your ears. So hang on, okay? Uh, my name is Anusha Ansari, and uh, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an astronaut. Of the 11 space tourists who have gone up so far, Anusha Ansari was the fourth to go, and she's the only woman. Like Lena... Anushe grew up in a country that's been through a lot of political turmoil. And like Lena, she was a little girl with space on the brain. I was very young, five, six years old, uh, and I was in Iran. And uh, just when I looked up at the stars and the night skies, I felt like the answers to all the questions of the world is up there. And felt that if I, you know, uh, if I go to space and I'm able to be close to the stars, that I will find the answers. Can I just ask you, when you say, find the answers, do you mean like, like the answer? Like, what's it all mean? Why are we here sort of thing? Exactly. Five years after the fall of the Shah, at the age of 18, Anushe leaves Iran and she moves to the U.S. with her mother and her sister. It was in 1984. And, uh, you know, I'm the oldest uh, child in the family and uh, my mom wanted 
me to study something where I can find a job quickly and support the family. <laughs> and uh, since I like math and sciences, uh, engineering was my second choice. I found out that it's a growing field and lots of job opportunities uh, by the time I graduate. So that's what I studied. With a degree in electrical engineering, she easily got work in telecommunications. She met the man who became her husband, and they started a company together. But just like Lena, space was always on her mind. I thought about space all the time. It was, um, you know, sort of uh, woven into my everyday life. Uh, everyone around me has known and still knows that this is, you know, I live and breathe space. Uh, all our conference rooms were named after, <laughs> you know, stars and galaxies. Um, I made our entire management team dress in Star Wars costumes. She visited Houston and Florida. She had her husband take pictures of her in a pretend astronaut suit at the Johnson Space Center. She kept waiting to see, was there going to be a chance for a regular person to go to space? I always thought growing up that there may be like a lottery or something for people to go to moon or Mars. That would be maybe a one-way ticket or some kind of opportunity where they would open it up to the public and then I would sign up and I would be able to go. But uh, One-way ticket. One-way ticket. That it wouldn't matter to me if it was a one-way ticket. But it was something that I felt like my life is not complete if I don't do it. Then one day... Anusha is getting ready for work. She's watching the news. I remember it clearly. And uh, they were talking about Dennis Tito. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, if I can't find any other way to go to space, this is the way I'm going to go. But I need a lot of money, which I don't have. Dennis Tito, the billionaire entrepreneur who was going to buy his way to space. And a few years later, he actually did it, becoming the first space tourist ever. He paid a reported $20 million for the ticket. He won't say exactly how much. Anyway, for a chunk of change, he got nearly eight days orbiting Earth with the Russians in 2001. And at just about the same time, Anushay and her husband sold their telecom company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And after that, we took some time off, and that gave me an opportunity to start really evaluating all the different options. So in the process, she gets a call from a guy named Peter Diamandis. She actually refers to him as a gentleman. He's a man with a crazy idea. He thinks space travel doesn't need to be a millionaire hitching a ride with NASA or the Russians. Let's start a competition. And he wants Anushe to fund it. Diamandis's idea ended up becoming the Ansari X Prize, a $10 million award to anyone who could build a private spaceship without government funding, and the spaceship had to go to the edge of space and back twice in one week. You got all that? The prize was won by Bert Rutan. Rutan's designs ended up being bought by Richard Branson, who then turned them into that business idea, Virgin Galactic. So XPRIZE isn't exactly how Anushe ended up going to space, but it did make her a name on the space scene. And pretty soon, she got an invitation of her own from the Russians. I got an offer to uh, go and uh, train as a backup uh, in Russia uh, for a Japanese uh, businessman who was flying to space. And to me, you know, even though it was not a promise to fly, it was the closest I could ever be to, you know, space program, training with astronauts, real astronauts. So just that enough was enough for me to, to pack my bags and, and 
head to uh, Star City in Moscow to train. Star City, where the Russian cosmonauts learn the biz. She arrived during one of the coldest winters on record for a year of training. And at the end of the year, it was the Japanese businessman who would go up into space and Anishé would go home. So my husband's like, you're crazy, you know. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'll be where Yuri Gagarin trained. Yuri Gagarin went to space from there. (laughs) This is the whole history of space. She learned everything about the Soyuz aircraft and the space station. How to do repairs, what to do in an emergency. And then uh, a lot of physical training, just uh, building, you know, stamina. How did people treat you while you were in training? I mean, was it weird that you were a woman? A very good question. So initially, there was a lot of resistance. Um, The Russian space program had not trained any women for a long, long time. So they were not prepared. They didn't have facilities for more women. So they tried very hard at the beginning to uh, find every way to discourage me. And um, after they didn't succeed and they saw my passion and how committed and how interested I am, they actually became very supportive. And then the year was over. Time to pack her bags and go home. Because she was just the backup. I'm very depressed, you know. And uh, on my way to the airport, actually, uh, I receive a call. And uh, they tell me that, uh, you know, the Japanese businessman who was supposed to fly, uh, he has developed a medical condition. A medical condition? The Japanese businessman can't fly. Everyone feels comfortable that you can take the seat. But we need to know quickly because we need to make a lot of arrangements. So we need to know if you want to go. Uh, and I I remember I screamed so loud. And I, I just thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course, of course, of course I'm going. Was there any, just like a teeny part of you that thought, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hesitation? Just a little? Not at all. Not even a second. Not even a moment. No. Anushe had been preparing herself for this opportunity her entire life. To the point that she and her husband had decided not to have children. I didn't have kids because I didn't know when the opportunity will come and I didn't want to have to think twice. Even though a lot of astronauts have kids and they go to space and I don't see an issue with it. But I thought maybe for a moment I would hesitate and I didn't even want to have that possibility. Back at Star City, and within days, Anushe has her spacesuit on and she's doing that iconic walk to board the aircraft. It's payoff time for the months of training, the millions of dollars that she's spent to be there. She's strapped into the capsule for takeoff. I was sitting there and my I had this flashback of, you know, from my childhood and it felt so surreal and I kept thinking maybe this was just all a dream and I kept praying that this is God let it be true let <laughs> let it be true and uh, once I felt the rocket uh, engines going and the rumbling and the you know the vibrations I knew it was real did any part of it bother you none of it it was all like you don't suffer from claustrophobia or nausea or anything none of it mattered to me at the end of the day it was just you know I had to endure through it to get to where I wanted to get if I could you know um, I'm not an adventure seeking uh, person or adventure yeah, I don't junkie. believe that but okay no I mean I'm not an adrenaline type person I don't even go on you know roller coasters 
Is there a moment where you realize you're out of suborbit and in orbit? About 19, 20 minutes into the flight, then um, you start feeling like uh, you, you're lifting off your chair. Even though you're strapped in, I mean, I was giggling like a little kid and uh, someone had dropped a, a pencil uh, uh, on the floor and it started, you know, sort of uh, floating in the air. And one of my crewmates um, took off his gloves and let the gloves sort of spin in the air. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm in space. But space has a few downsides, too. As soon as I opened my belts, I started flipping around and going up and down and flying around. And they tell you not to do a lot of movements um, when you are just getting acclimated to weightlessness. But I was just too excited. So, May I ask what happens to vomit in space? <laughs> it floats. So nice. if you're not ca- careful, your crewmates will not appreciate it. <laughs> How do you even clean it up? <laughs> You have to chase it with a bag. Oh, my God. That is fabulous. (laughs) Floating bodily fluids, G-force. I got to say, so far, I am not convinced that I could overcome the travel part of space travel. But I won't write it off yet because of this next tantalizing answer. And so you went up there to look for the answer to the question that every human being has. And you use the technology to get there. And did you find the answer? Um, what does I it think, all mean? <laughs> I think I found the answer for me. I don't know if it's the answer for everyone. So, shall we get Lena on the line? Can you put on your headphones now? Do you want to say hello to each other? Hi, Anoshe. How are you? Great, Lena. It's very nice to meet you. Likewise. So I'm sitting with Anushe in the studio here in New York. And where are we reaching you? Um, I'm actually in my living room in San Diego, California, where it's nice and sunny. Now, Lena, this is an, an unusual opportunity for you. You get to ask Anushe whatever you want about going into space. Thank you so much. I'm fascinated that, you know, you grew up in a country where at those times probably women were not, you know, um, encouraged very much to do something like this. I kept quiet during this part of the conversation. You could really feel the connection between Anushe and Lena, two women totally on the same wavelength. brings creativity and competition. Absolutely. And I'm in technology. They talked about training, about space experiments, business models for space travel. Like, listen, here's the thing. Two ladies who both want to go to space, they don't get together very often. This was their moment to be together, and they relished it. Lena thanked Anushe for funding the XPRIZE, that competition that just may give her, regular Russian gal, a chance to see Earth from above. And then Lena also asked something Sounds else. I'd been wondering. Um, I don't know if it's too personal of a question, but... No, there's nothing personal. How do you, how do you go to the bathroom in space? Well, it's tricky. It's a little tricky. You know, everything floats in space, so you have to be mm-hmm. careful. <laughs> but there is a toilet. Uh, it works in the same concept as, uh, you know, 
I guess toilets on on the airplanes and things like that. But you don't have water because again, water doesn't uh, flow; it floats. So you have the suction, and it works on the concept of suction. So there is a funnel where you would do number one, and there is a uh, you know toilet that's uh, for number two, and there is a bag that you have to store your uh, you know your your uh, you know, the goodies. Goodies. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a word that I can use on public radio. <laughs> Don't worry, Lena. We were just talking about barf, too. So, okay. Also floats. <laughs> and then, with just a few minutes left, it was time for Lena to ask her big question What did you feel when you looked down at Earth? No astronaut had ever satisfied Lena with a good answer, and I could tell that she was nervous that Anouche wouldn't come through either. It's fascinating to me, and I've met a few astronauts, talked to them about it, and every single one says that when you see the world from up there, it changes your complete perspective. It's so different. I just can't explain it, like what the feeling is when you actually look at the world from up there. I just want to know how it made you feel to see it from up there when you actually got there and looked out of the illuminator. Looking at Earth was probably one of the most memorable uh, parts of my whole experience. And uh, it happened when I was still in the Soyuz, um, and it was right after we reached orbit, and they checked everything, and everything was fine. And they said, okay, now you can open your seat belts. So as I opened it, I was next to one of the windows, one of the portholes, and I you know, sort of floated up to the window, and I looked out, and I think I saw the most beautiful thing ever. And I had seen you know, pictures of Earth from space, and I had all my screensavers and my office filled with them. But just seeing it with your own eyes, it was like, you know, I was watching it, this thing that was live and, 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 and uh, it has uh, warmth and energy and, and uh, life emanating from it. It was, you know, you, you looked at it and you knew it wasn't dead. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes when I see pictures of the moon, you can tell it's, you know, it's a dead, you know, object. But when you, I looked at the earth from, you know, my... Uh, spaceship. It was alive. I could feel that it's alive. And it was uh, such a beautiful moment. I just, you know, started crying. I don't know why I was crying, but I was crying. I was very emotional. And my tears started floating in front of me (laughs) and making a bubble over my eyes, not allowing me to see clearly. But it was it was one of the most emotional part of my trip that I always remember. Even, you know, describing it now, I can see it in my head. Before we go, Lena, is it okay if I ask a question on your behalf? Absolutely. Anusha, do you think she'll go? Like, what's, what's going to happen next with the Virgin Galactic flight? I was actually with the CEO and Richard Branson last week. Uh, they're a little behind on uh, some of their test flights, but um, they were hoping to fly this year, end of this year. I think uh, it may be pushed to early part of next year, but uh, I definitely know she's going to fly. We said goodbye to Anoushe, 
And I felt so happy for Lena. Hearing Anushe talk in real terms made Lena's goal seem attainable, understandable. It could be real. But I had to know, did Lena finally feel satisfied with the answer she got to her big question? I really appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity to actually talk to her. She's very, very inspirational. You were saying how you've never been quite satisfied with the answers you've gotten from astronauts about that question, what it's like to look down at Earth. Was her answer different? Yes. And the overwhelming, happy, uh, just that type of feeling, that's the first time I've heard somebody describe it like that. Maybe because she, she's a woman, maybe because she's just like a dreamer like me from the get-go, dreaming since you were a kid. And I have to tell you, when she said that she actually started crying, I teared up a little because I think my reaction's going to be the same. I really hope you enjoyed this story of space immigrants dreamers, girl power, Lena and Anushe, two women who claim not to be thrill seekers, who just so want to look at Earth from a very different perspective. And I used to think my answer to the question, would you go to space, was hell no. But talking to them introduced just the slightest niggle of doubt into my brain. I would love to hear what you think. Would you go to space? No, really, like, would you really go to space if someone said, here, here's a ticket? Tell us at newtechcity.org or email us at newtechcity at wnyc.org. If you're brave, you can also record your answer on your phone and email it to us there. Now, last week, listeners left some pretty emotional comments in response to our show about how the techies deal with screen time and their kids. We told the story about a Google executive who did kind of this crazy experiment on his own kid. He gave him, like, all screens all the time. So we asked you what rules you set. And one mom found a way to help her kids self-regulate their screen time. Catherine Milligan took us up on our offer to record herself on her phone, and she emailed this audio message. We require that our kids write in a log the time they start and the time they end. And that has removed all the arguments that were around, how long have you been playing? I just told you two more minutes. No, it has been two more minutes. No, I'm looking at the clock. You're looking at the video game. I know when two minutes is. You know, all of that amped up arguing. Um, So anyway, the time log that they're managing themselves has been a really good exercise for them in self-regulation and limits and, um, you know, removing that dynamic that becomes a very negative communication with their parents. Jane wrote on our website, she has a 12-year-old, screen time, limits or no limits, rules or no rules. This topic is simply the number one stressor in our household. Oh, Jane, I hear you. Okay, then there was Terry from Connecticut who said, this topic pains me. As an IT professional, I spend quite a lot of time on a computer. How is my time on the computer different from my children's? Good point, Terry. New Tech City's there for you. I feel it every night when I close the laptop down. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City.
city out here. 